I, I enjoy gaming because it provides a framework for collaboration on stories that are better than what any of the people sitting at the table could come up with on their own. Uh, my name is Zachary Johnson, and I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. VorpalNetwork.com. Welcome to episode three of the currently unnamed DM show. I am here as usual. I am Jeff Greiner, and with us as always is Mike Shea. Hello. And Randall Walker. Greetings, people. So, uh, feedback has been good so far in the first two episodes. We're going to, so I I guess we'll just keep doing this thing. Let's do it. Although, it's time to end the namelessness of the unnamed DM show. We have, over the last two episodes, collected some suggestions through Twitter and email and and what have you, and I have compiled them and sent them off to you guys, and it is time to figure out which ones we like the most, and finally pick a name so that I can, you know, create a logo or something for the show as well and do all that kind of fun stuff. Hmm. Okay. So there's that. Now, Mike has a big problem because he loves all the names. No, I, I don't like. I, I only I can live with one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but of course, uh, Randall and I don't don't care what Mike says. So we're gonna have decide. we have we thought about has anyone used behind the screen? That's a good one. See what you know. I, and see, that's what I'm worried about. That it was so cool. It seems so Damn, obvious that maybe. Yeah, Google that up. Um, <laughs> because that seems to me that that would be a good one, but. Okay, I, like- I added it to to my list. Okay, so let's. There is a there is a podcast called Behind the Screen, but it's about movies. We can mm. we can deal with that. How about Behind the DM Screen? I like just Behind the Screen. Well, I like it too, but can you have two podcasts with the same name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would want to add probably something then to differentiate a little. Yeah, bit. Behind the DM Screen means you're going to show up on searches. Fine, whatever. Yeah. All right, so. Let's let's go through the list and see which ones we want to eliminate completely from from the list first. Um, let's say it takes because we know Mike hates them all. Um, <laughs> let's just start from an assumption of you need two people to take it off the list. <laughs> okay, and you, and you have one, <laughs> <laughs> and you automatically have one because Mike hates them both all. Have to like. <laughs> so either Randall or I have to not like something to to get rid of it. Okay. All right, so. We start with the symbiotic DM show. Okay, so that's a no. We have three DM anti. God. Yeah, I can't have a meh on that one. Okay. That I counts that, as a no. I kind of like that one, but all right. <laughs> uh, DM Omnicon. Oh, I can't even too hard to it. pronounce. It's too like hard to pronounce. That, that one I thought was really clever. Uh, yeah, but, but, but very hard to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one can say this. No show. one will ever be... find it. No one can search on it. Yeah, that's yeah. was it. Om nom nom. You know, all the all <laughs> food tweets or whatever. You know. Yeah. All so, right. Okay. <clears throat> what about the DM support group? 
it sounds like it's a bad um like this is a bad thing like a 12-step program yeah, right like we're trying to so, not, kind of not is, that right? those are a bad thing not that those are a bad we'll thing we'll stop sorry, DMs and rejoin the church yeah <laughs> okay uh self-help for dms uh same okay. as above campaign advice with randall mike and jeff Certain, certainly says exactly what it advertises. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a podcast with Jeff and Mike and Randall discussing Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. I like the fact that I have top billing on that one. But other than that, <laughs> it's not even in alphabetical order for crying out That's loud. That's right, exactly. All right. Um, we had one suggestion that we just keep it as the unnamed DM show and that just be the name of it forever. I like it. I like yeah. it. It's, it's crafty. It, it's, self, it's self-referential. Right, it's very meta. Nobody understands it unless right. they've heard but the first two Because it's called the unnamed DM show, that means it has a name, which means it's not unnamed. But then it's ironic. I love it. Yeah, it's a very hipstery sort of name. Are it's you like a hipster, like, Mike? I don't know. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't have glasses. Definitely the sandals. And uh, somebody just very recently suggested behind the DM screen. I, I love that. that one. I think that I'm one's good. awesome. Yes, because you came up with it. But I, 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 I vote. I vote with that one. All right. So we have two options then. That um, Mike and Randall collectively don't hate. <laughs> <laughs> we have the unnamed DM show and behind the DM screen. It's up to you. Which one do you hate the least? It's up to me? Yeah. We well, both like both of those. I think. Do you like both well, of them equally? No, I actually if, I, if, if you had to pick one, which one would you pick? Ignoring the fact that Randall came up with one of them. Um, I would go with behind the DM screen. And I think that of those two, I like that. Well, not because I came up with it, but I think it just says... It's, it's clear. Yeah, it's clear. It's, it's it, it gives nice. that impression that we're going behind the scenes of what it means to be a DM in our campaigns and stuff like that. It's not silly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll go with There's that one. enthusiasm. We'll go with that All one. Right. You know, and, and here's Mike, the thing. Mike, we win! We I, win, I, Mike! I don't, I don't love the name as much. But I already have a logo in my head, and I know what it's going to look like. So, oh, beautiful! See, there you go. You can just steal it right from Chatty DM and throw it right on there. In marketing, we call that synergy. I might just, yeah, I might just steal his logo and modify it. <laughs> steal his logo, but yeah, your picture. Your no, I'll, no, I'll leave his picture on, and I'll just put my words on top of it. <laughs> Who is this? Who are you talking about? Chatty. Chatty oh, DM. Yeah, He's go. got a picture of him sitting behind the DM screen. Right. It's already done. So we do. Do we all need hardcore jazz blues looking images like Jeff Griner does here? Yeah, no. Because I could get one. I could get professional headshots. Oh, that's just me in front of my mic. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you totally look like. Um, I just turned up my webcam and snapped a picture. It totally looks like the cover of the Nightfly, Donald Fagan, or whatever. So. Well, I figured people could uh, when I'm Skype skyping with people, right, and doing interviews and things. They can look at that and understand that that's generally kind of what I look like as I'm talking to them. Oh well, there you go. Hinted. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm looking at your email picture, the the Google Plus picture, which yeah, is like, that's uh, what I'm looking at. Too, the dark yeah. shaped picture with you looking like. Oh, I thought you looked at my Skype picture. You look yeah. like Agent Smith. What yeah, do I look like on Google Plus. I think you oh, look like one. I think you look like Donald Fagan from The Nightfly. Oh man, that one! I took that picture like when the podcast was new. That was back when I lived in Omaha. Yeah, the picture of you with your crazy recording gear under the glow of the monitor is pretty good. Yeah. Well, what can I say? I take a good picture. Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Next topic. Yeah. Moving on. Um, we also wanted to briefly chat about um, what the show is and isn't because we've gotten some really good feedback, right? And some people, a lot of people have, have emailed in w- um, with 
some things that I think we can use in the show and some things that I think we probably want to avoid in the show, but I wanted to chat with you guys about it um, and have that conversation. So make sure we understand what we're doing and what we're not doing and so people have an idea of what, what to send us and, and what have you. Well, I'll jump in. I think the one thing that we should not be talking about is um, current events or things like that as far as D&D goes. <laughs> right, right. Or I mean, or game. And that Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs> Let oh, me well, let me tell you what I heard about this Lorena Bobbitt let me, character. Let me check the price of the Dow. <laughs> the Dow Jones, 12907 today. Or what was all over the news today, Pink Slime. So, you know, which sounds like a great D&D thing, but, you know. Or a band name. It sounds like a good D&D thing. Yeah, it does. Okay, so, so anyway, um, we got we, we basically received two different kinds of emails and, and feedback and comments on the website and what have you. Um, some of them are... Hey, I listened to the show and I had some ideas for your campaign as well. Here they are. Mm-hmm. And some of them are, hey, you're doing advice for campaigns and I've got some questions for my campaign. Here are my questions. Um, can you help me? So there's, there's an interesting thing about both of those, um, which is that they both want – both are asking for more involvement in the show. Right. Right. Both of them are are how can we – help other you know how can we help other people either by kind of except you know bringing in them into the stuff that we're talking about for our campaigns or by talking about their campaigns and helping them and i don't think i want to do either of those but um i think it speaks to an interesting thing that we should discuss yeah i think that if we do if we approach that area at all it should be on a random basis pull a letter out of the mailbag if you will and we do like Two minutes on it, boom! You know, quick. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing more than that, and nothing elaborate, and it's random. No one, know. you know. I don't know how all that works. But, well, or, or <laughs> two whatever. minutes on anything. <laughs> I mean, since the emails are going spent to spend two minutes show, talking about his icon on Skype. <laughs> yes, well, perhaps. Um, but anyway, that that would be the only way that I think that would work. You know, yeah, maybe see, Jeff pulls a letter out at random or whatever. See, I think I think one of those types of things we can we can probably do and one of them is, is harder or at least we can kind of incorporate one of them um i feel like the one who's the emails that i've had asking for help on their campaigns um given that we barely have we're long-winded enough we barely have enough time to get in conversation yeah. about our campaigns i think that one is probably going to be difficult to impossible for us to actually do and, and actually be able to maintain the schedule of the show right um I think the feedback or the, the suggestions on, hey, here are some thoughts I had about your campaign, um, is not something I'm opposed to. Uh, and it could be as simple as they sent they send the email into the show at gmail.com, and I yeah. forward it on to you guys. And, yeah, and we can you, talk about it. You use it or you don't use it. And if you right. use it, then we can bring it up and talk about it in our in our own little segments. Right. Does that make yeah, sense? I, I think that's a great idea. Because yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I actually use some of the feedback um, from an email from a listener. Um, and so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that and, and get some thoughts on what I should do with it. So. I mean, I think there's there's one other side to this too, which is while we're talking about our campaigns, I mean, you know, I've, I think I've made myself clear here in other venues that listening to other people's campaigns generally makes me want to claw my eyes out. But and I, don't, <laughs> and I don't know why anybody on earth would want to listen to mine. But um, if you know, the more time we're able to focus on things that people might be able to use in theirs, um, you know, the more useful the overall podcast might be for people who are listening. 
So, you know, we can talk a lot about kind of the specific stories or we can talk about some interesting things we did with the game that people mm-hmm. could cannibalize on and, and mm-hmm. or not cannibalize, but, you know, they could, they could use in their own game. Capitalize. That's better than cannibalize. Um, <laughs> you know, like weird things that we've done in our game or weird, weird ways that we've worked with the story or worked with our players or worked the game to, to do something kind of new and interesting. So... Maybe that's something we can think about. All right. Yeah, so, so the idea is going to be then, if you've got questions about your campaign, that might be something that we can help you with on a Tome advice episode, but probably not on this show. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, send them in, and I'll hang on to them, and we might, we may or may not get to them uh, at some point. Um, in terms of this show, though, if you have suggestions about our individual campaigns and what we're doing in our games, send those along. I will forward them on to the other guys, and we may discuss them or we may not, depending on whether or not it's something that we actually end up using. I would add No, that, you can't add. Yeah, I'm, I'm adding um, comments on the actual show site. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to leave them. Absolutely. Yeah, leave whatever you want, whether it's about yours or ours. I don't care. We don't care. We'd love to hear your comments on the site. Um, you may or may not get an answer, but that's a good place to put it out there. So, All right. In fact, we had some several comments. We did, and I have read them. Uh, but Mike is not because Mike hates the audience. I don't read comment boards. <laughs> <laughs> I only read safe ones. Mike's going to be the Mike's going to be the curmudgeon of of the show, isn't he? Yeah, I'm a curmudgeon generally. I did. I did. I have to admit, I vanity searched on. Um, uh, uh, RPG.net recently. And, <laughs> yeah. Did that go well? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty a vain enough person that it takes a lot to really piss me off. Um, so, but it was kind of interesting to see people going back and forth on stuff. <laughs> Controversial things I had said and forgotten. Interesting. All right. So we got, we talked about, we got a name. We are behind the DM screen. Behind the DM screen. BDMS. God, uh, let's be careful with initials. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we BTDM, yeah. Huh? BT BTDMS is what it would be. Well, you take the the, the minor words out like the. Okay. You can. <laughs> hey, I, I do a lot. BD- of, I do a lot <laughs> of tw- tweeting, and we're going to get a lot of interesting one- Google searches if we if we go with BDS, uh, BDMS. <laughs> Does that stand for something? Uh, BDSM. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Now that, that, clear, that would be great. Right? People are looking for that, and they type it in <laughs> yeah, wrong, and they right. get us. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. There you go. Instant this, is a, this, isn't a ba- this isn't a bad thing. This is a strategy. Instant traffic. Excellent. <laughs> I don't know who, which one of us is going to be the lowercase m, and which is going to be... Uh, yeah. Never mind. So anyway. I don't, I don't know you guys well enough yet. <laughs> We've got that all established now. Uh, it's time to get into our campaigns, and since I haven't started yet, I decided that I'm going to start first this time. Okay. Can I go second? Uh, no. I sent you an outline. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. Hardcore. You're, you're at the end because that way you can talk for whatever time is left. Oh, great. <laughs> and since you're the one with a time limit that has to leave, yeah, exactly. it'll be completely up to you how long you get to talk. So my campaign, um, I've actually I, I've had a chance to play. I, I've DM'd for the fir- for the first time in like six or nine months now. Uh, I took a bit of a hiatus, right? And we talked about that, and came back and, and started up the game. Um, 
And I, and I took some advice from an email that we got from Paul, 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 Paul Jackson, who I believe is not a native English speaker because okay. it, it's spelled P-O-L with a little carrot on top of the O. Uh, Scandinavian Paul. But he tells me it's pronounced Paul. Okay. So there you go. Uh, and he suggested with my little whole um, the players have ended up in the wrong world and they're trying to get back storyline. He said maybe I should have there, – there's some sort of um, entity that's actually helping them, helping the party figure out this loophole to get them back because this entity is hoping to sort of piggyback with them and go back to tor- – go to Toral with them and then wreak all sorts of havoc. So what I did is I did a bunch of research on Forgotten Realms lore and figured out a way to sort of do that and, and tie it into the, to the larger story and what have you. So I took um, – one of the things that happened in the, in the Spell Plague is the, the continent of Mazteca, which is sort of the Native American part of the realm. Yeah, like, South, like Aztecs and Mayans. Right, and right, areas. all that. It switched and went to, the, went to Abir, so it's on the wrong world. So what, I, what I've done is I've had them meet an entity that sort of put them on the path and is helping them um, find this loophole going into this dead god's body, sorting through the dungeon and getting to the heart. Uh, and he sort of helped them find it. And he is the, he's claiming to be the god of Coatls from Mazteca. Only as he puts it, as he explained, everybody in Mazteca has been slaughtered since the, since the hundred years that the spell plague happened. And so he's weak and he wants to get back home where he can build up a, a follower base again. Uh, in reality, it is not Kotal, that god. It is instead the e- evil serpent god of the... Um, oh, what are those? Those snake creatures. Um, it's not the auntie. It's the creator race. Uh, oh, what are those guys called? I forget right now. I don't remember. But it's the it's the people it's the race that created the auntie and you know lizard folk and all those other things. Is it here? No. That's a god. That's a god. Yeah. But and so there's this whole race in, in in realms lore that was the the originators of all these reptilian sort of races. And so um, he's really the evil god of them because that's going to be one of the villains they deal with in, in a level or two. So I thought that would be an interesting figure to piggyback with them and end up back in the world and then wreak all sorts of havoc and could lead them into into that part of the adventure. So, so that's what I've done. Um, they're in the middle of the, the dead god dungeon body thing. Okay. Um, they, in fact, it took them... I, I used the giant post-it note sheets with the grids on them for my maps. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. I... I, I the the actual rooms, the sections of the dungeon, like the first one is two eyes, a brain, and a nose, and they actually came in through one of the nostrils. Ugh. And then they oh, then they, they went down the throat, and then the next one looks like a giant stomach, right? And then the next one is they're working their way through the intestines, up through the rib cage, up to the heart chamber. Were there a lot of jokes? Well, see, that's the thing. We got through three fourths of the night, and they didn't realize that these things looked oh. like bodies <laughs> or parts of a body. It wasn't actually because they're, they, they like a, like a post-it note. They have sticky on one side, 
So they actually stuck them up on the wall after we went to dinner. And once they were up on the wall, they're like, hey, that kind of looks like a face. And and, you know, and then slowly it sort of dawned on them. Nice. Like, yeah, I wasn't really trying to be subtle about this. You know? No, but that's cool, though. I mean, that's... So here, here's the issue I have, is that I've got this fake uh, caudal or caudal uh, diminished god creature following them around. And the idea was, you know, I'll, I'll show you a loophole of how to get back to your world if you take me with you. Hmm. Okay. The god is being next to useless and not in, unintentionally so. I mean, I, I described him as very diminished and, and very weak and, you know, gods sort of derive their power from their followers and he has no followers, so he's very weak. And so sort of every round I just sort of roll a die and he heals somebody that amount. And that's that's what he's been doing as sort of you know yes he's in the he's he's with you, don't forget about him sort of thing. Um, but I am getting a lot of comments of really this guy's a god <laughs> and he healed me for four hit points this round. That's all he's done, you know? <laughs> and nobody targets him. And you know what's going on with it, you know? So I sort of feel like I need to find some way to make his presence more known without having to run yet another character, if that makes sense, or at least at least diminish the amount of work I have to do to do so. So, suggestions, um, go. Who do you want to go first? Mike? No, you go. Well, you could always have the god um, do a, like some kind of random terrain effect. Yeah, that's always a good idea. Um, something like a, a burst of some kind of, you know, and it could be something, it doesn't necessarily have to be, if he's diminished, maybe things don't always work out well for him. So, it could be something kind of random and more annoying than deadly. Um, or it depends on how much you want to, you know, if this guy is a, a stuff serving at all as a little bit of comic relief, um, then you could always do something really silly, like, you know, like, you know, marshmallows or rainbows or something like that, you know, weird, um, that happens, you know, just like totally random. Think Wand of Wonder, but it's like emanating mm-hmm. from this god and it comes out as a burst. Um, that was the first thing that popped into my head. So. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Um, the, I, I like that a lot. The idea of, I mean, my thing is always you want to, there's, there's two things you really want to av- avoid, I think. And one is having something real complicated that you're running. Uh, why don't, I'll t- well, let me backtrack. So there's a couple things. Um, when you have a guy that you're running, that can get kind of boring for players. But, you know, you're already running a bunch of monsters. They don't want to watch you running an NPC too. Mm-hmm. Um you don't want it to be too powerful because then you're doing Deus Ex Machina, and right. uh, that's the worst. You know, we had a, I played in a game recently where they had a powerful NPC, and the NPC's shooting double crossbows and stuff like that, and it was just annoying. Mm-hmm. And because it's like, it's, hey, look, it's doing more damage than I am. And uh, you also don't want something that's complicated and going to slow anything down because things can already get slow. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of an NPC as an environmental effect, maybe if it has a bunch of different things that could activate based on the skills that players are willing to use to aid it like if they funnel heal into it then it can create a healing aura if they funnel you know something else into it arcane then it can add magic damage oh um you know so that way you have something and also you can you can make it that if they use miners it'll do one thing if they do standards it'll do another so that way there's it it fits within the action economy you know if um if a player is willing to use a standard action to do something that can activate something that the god can do for free uh, so it becomes kind of a lightning rod of different kinds of power. Um, yes, I, I think that way it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a a, a time effect on the game. It doesn't, um, 
you know, it's they feel like they're doing something, right? That the, the activity is actually theirs. They're the one activating the skill, and if they fail or succeed, uh, that will you know matter to the rest of the party. Um, and you're not running it, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that because uh, you can sort of work in the the random stuff that Randall was talking about while right. while also making it about them and not about me. It's just sort of... It, right. it, it, it becomes uh, an envi- constant, yeah. It becomes an environmental effect that's actually following them. Yeah, and you can change yeah. it, too. Like, depending on situations, it's gaining in power, then the powers start changing. Mm-hmm. You know, if it goes to one environment instead of another, then the, the things that they activate on. So it's not the same set. On the other hand, maybe they like to have a same set. If you make it complicated enough... You know, if you were to have, you know, eight different things that it could do depending on different skills or combinations of skills that players or, or PCs are willing to do, mm-hmm. then um, they get to know it. You know, it becomes like an artifact of theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes this thing that they can use. Right on. I like that. Um, the other trick that I ha- that I run into, like, I sort of, in my head, justified the really weak healing power. Like, I was literally, at the end of every round, I was just rolling a D6, and he was healing somebody for D6 hit points. That's, that, that was his accomplishment. Right. Um, and again, your party is an epic, right? They are. So that's yeah. not, you know, they're like, ooh, four hit points, you know, who cares? Yeah, right. Um, but, but part of that was me saying, well, yeah, but like the god he's imitating is, is a lawful good god and would be all about the healing. But he's not actually that god. <laughs> like, he's a bad guy. He's not all about the healing. Right, so right. I, f- I figure he's just sort of faking it, and that's why he's bad at it, you know? Um, so I could use some of the the possible channeled powers to betray a little bit of his true nature. You know? Maybe if they funnel arcane um, energy into him, then he has some sort of necromantic effect. Well, they'll, they'll get that pretty quick. Right. It's going to be a little true. bit more subtle. Okay, well, help me out. How do I be more subtle? Snake stuff, right? Right. Um, and, and, and both both gods are snakes, so it could be snake stuff and not betray one thing or the other. But yeah, a, too, a lot right? of... Say that, Randall? Coatles too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, 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 the god he's imitating is is the god of Coatles, and the other god is is an evil aspect of the world serpent. Right. Okay. They do a lot of venom and poison and stuff like that. Okay. As the offensive on the defensive side, I don't know what is snakes charming kind of a thing. Uh, that's dumb. Well, I'm thinking know. about the old Coatles, and I know that like rainbows and stuff, in, like so, some kind of prismatic thing, maybe. Like prismatic spray or something like that. I mean, well, right, maybe but, more old school. I don't know. But but, but, he, but he's not actually a quaddle. That the quaddle god. He's just pretending to be. So that's part of the trick, right? Right. Like it, it, mean, should, it should yeah. be. It should be telling when they try to get that effect out of him. You know, and it's something else. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. I'm just writing things down. Yeah, I'm not sure. All right. Well, I'll, I'll chew on a little bit, but I think in the next, in my next session, um, they will work their way through the next two encounters, which is their gets them to the heart of um, the god, dead god's body, and end up. They don't. They don't know this yet, but they're gonna. It's not gonna actually get them back to Toral. It's gonna get them to um, Sinisher, which is sort of the mm-hmm. the the parliament, the the senate of the gods. Right. And then they'll have to figure out their way out of there. Which may only be a couple of encounters. So, so I guess unless you guys have some uh, random advice for me on Sinisher, which 
we might be able to talk about next time too, depending on how the timing works out. Um, we can probably move on. I've got some ideas on how to build my pseudo quaddle. You said the sinister was a was like a senate of the gods kind of thing, right? Right. You might want to look at just for reference. There is a web comic, and I'm getting the name of it. Bear with me here, just a second. No, I refuse to bear with you. Uh, I know. I'm not bearing. Actually, I'm just sort of uh, vamping and filling time so they don't have to do any editing for Dead Space. <laughs> it is called Wayward Sons. Wayward Sons. And um, Is that S-O-N or S-U-N? S-O-N-S. Okay. Um, it's been pretty lengthy, but it's sort of, uh, it's sort of a take on the Greek gods and mm-hmm. what if they were like aliens that had crashed on earth mm-hmm. and it's there's quite a bit of back history there so i don't expect you to have to read the whole thing but it, probably within the last oh 25 to 50 pages there is there's sort of like this court where they're punishing the the titans which are their the enemies and that might give you some ideas on what's just popped into my head as something that might mm-hmm. be a good idea for reference or whatever. Yeah, right on. And I can, I mean, I, um, there's actually a short trilogy. Is it, was it a whole trilogy or was it just two books? But there's a couple of Forgotten Realms books that actually deal with it, uh, Sinisher, um, pretty directly. Um, oh, there you go. After, after the Time of Troubles trilogy, um, when certain mortals were ascended to godhood, then it continued telling sort of their story as gods. And so they dealt with a little bit of that there. So that's where I got the, some of the idea for it. Very good. That's me. Randall, you're up. All right. So I actually got to play uh, last month, too. Yay! Yay! So um, back on the Island of Mist, and uh, they actually um, solved another puzzle um, and went to this time um, uh, to... um, (laughs) My mind went blank. I keep wanting to say Mechanon. It's not Mechanon. <laughs> Mechanical. That's what it is. They went to the world called Mechanical. And it's basically, it's a series of... There's like three islands. And in between all of these islands, in the middle of them, is a very large fortress that can rotate. They don't realize it can rotate until they get inside, and they unlock the mechanism that allows them to do that. On this world in the past, according to the book that they found, most of the inhabitants of this area... Um, where this used to be a whole big island, but most of it sank, um, was overcome by these pirates or whatever in ships of the Black Flag. So these pirates... Sorry, what level is this again? uh, It's um, high, heroic, low paragon. Okay. Okay. Um, And um, so these ships had slaughtered a lot of the inhabitants when um, Atris had been there before, but now the characters are there. And they find right off that the area seems to be uninhabited. Um, so they're going through the fortress, and there's like totally grabbing stuff out of Atrus's son's old old rooms. There's and they find lots of treasure because I have not necessarily split this all out evenly. It's not like mm-hmm. encounter get some treasure. This happened to be one of those areas where they go into this place and they find a bunch of treasure. Yeah, <laughs> and treasure, so treasure is one of those things that drives me crazy because I, I just. I forget about it all the time. Oh, I've, right. got a good, I've got a good thought about treasure. Okay. But the reason they're finding all of it at once is because I'm, I'm following closely the things that you find in the game. And so things like uh, you know certain statues and pictures and things like that, a lot of it's not magical. Some of it is. Um, but 
Uh, it all happens to be collected in one spot. Well, as they're collecting the clues to be able to get back home, because almost immediately when they get to these places, they realize they're going to have to figure out a way to get back home and or get back to the main Mist Island. So as they're collecting those clues, they see these two ships off in the distance coming towards them, and it looks like one is chasing the other. Well, as the ships get a little closer, they realize it's some of these normal, it's like citizens in one boat being chased by more pirates of the black flag, right? Well, they get back in because they see this from the fortress, and they got to get out, and they want to help them. So they try to rotate the fortress back to where it should be. Well, it turns out that they rotated the fortress right in front of the civilian ship. <laughs> so the civilian ship has to break really hard, well, if you will, and, and, and it crashes sort of on the island, right? It starts to list, and the pirate ship pulls up aside, so that's when the big attack occurs. And I've got these big, I've got wooden ships actually out on the table with the nice. miniatures on them. And so I can sort of, you know, and now they're jumping over here. Like, some of them are jumping to the uh, um, uh, to, to the masts of the other ship. And and I pulled these monsters out randomly. I just, I did it on the fly. I did not know going into the game session what I was going to use for these guys. But I found some pirate ones, and I found some, um, some thugs, um, which I use for just the regular, you know, minion types. And then I found this, like, moon caller, I think is what it was. And her power isn't that big of a deal, um, because what it is is that as a miner, she can, like, pull you closer, like, five spaces or something like that. However, when you're on an island and there's big, giant shark fishes in the water, that power becomes a lot more powerful. Because now, if you fall into the water, you're going to die. <laughs> so how are you handling the um, the force movement or added rule? That says that if you're being pulled or pushed or forced movement into a into a threatening or dangerous square, then they get a save to just negate that completely. Yeah, they do. Okay. But um, and then in a lot of cases, the angle of attack it was pulling them actually onto. It's kind of hard to explain this, but the the pier that comes out from the center of the rotating fortress is guided along like a ring. It's a narrow ring, like less than five feet. It's very narrow. Um, think of it like a monorail ring, kind mm-hmm. of. And it's guided on that. So there was a couple of times where the angle of attack when she was pulling pulled the character onto the rail instead of straight into the water. Mm-hmm. But she also used it on some civilians, too. They got dragged into the water. So the, I was able to build quite a bit of tension getting the players out of the fortress because they were going straight after the civilians. Um, until they, until the party literally intervened directly, and and tried to put the civilians behind them so that the attacks would be on the party and not the civilians, and it drove a, it it built a lot of a lot of excitement. the The players had a lot of good things to say about it, and at the same time, I was using the game again on the monitor so that they had a visual of where they were at. I had a map down on the table as well, but they also had the monitor with the actual game up so that they could see where they were at and what things looked like. And um, I got lots of um, positive feedback about, you know, we really liked that mixture of being able to have a visual at the same time we're seeing stuff on the map. Um, It kind of made me wonder, it's like, wow, wouldn't it be great if, like, all these modules and stuff came with a whole series of, like, these beautifully rendered scenes that you could, like, throw up 
onto the screen mm-hmm. to show them where you are at. Um, you know, that probably never happened, but it would be cool if you could do that. And with this particular campaign, I can because, well, there's an actual game mm-hmm. <laughs> based on it. So, um, but it worked out really well. And I stretched myself in this particular game by doing the combat on the fly and ah. not having everything really planned out. Um, uh, I'd kind of decided the morning before that there would be some kind of ship combat and some kind of attack by these pirates or whatever, but I didn't know exactly how that was going to play out. And then I re- when I went downstairs to go to get, get the pirate ship miniature or the or the device, I found another smaller ship and was like, oh yeah, civilians. And so, and we went from there. So, and I love building um, the tension. You, you still had the ships though, right? You still had yeah. all the material together. Yeah, I had the ships. So it was, um, and they're these little, mo- there's these models that I got from like Michael's, and they're like flat. They all come in like in a flat thing. <laughs> I was going to say, you are the master of, of finding props at Michael's. Oh, dude, yeah, Michael's is right. a, I see you, yeah, I see you, I see you tweeting constantly about, you know, this find and that great thing that you, that you picked up at Michael's for your game. And it's like, dude, like every week you, you come back home with new toys. Oh, and- I do. I've got a whole stack I'm looking at right now that is like just stuff. So. But because um, I love it, because I love the tactile. I'm the prop or DM, so mm-hmm. you know. But um, but I had these boats, and um, I'd put them together previously, and and uh, they work out great. They're a tiny bit under scale, but not a lot, and so they're really close to uh, what you could use. It's certainly good enough for visualization at the table. So that's uh, really interesting. I mean the the concept of of like how much time we spend preparing battles. It, well, how much time we spend preparing our games is something I've, I'm thinking a lot more about, and um, mm-hmm. particularly on running battles and what you have prepared for battles and what you don't mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah, in fact, I and I thought about that after our last uh, recording, our last episode, because um, as I planned out my dead god dungeon mm-hmm. encounters. I, I did not actually modify or create a single one of the creatures in there. Every single mm-hmm. thing is straight out of uh, the compendium. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, mine were too for this combat, and and they weren't even. I mean, I just you know skinned them. You know, I called them something right. else. This Mooncaller or whatever was just the pirate queen, if you will. She mm-hmm. was their lead, their boss, and um, you know. So and the players, you know, don't they don't know any different, and yeah. it works just fine. And so it was, and I love using. I love hostages. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> if the players have to, because they have to make hard decisions, do I save this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, do I put myself at risk and watch this guy get killed? And, they, and there were a couple of them. The pirate queen would use her power and boom, jerk him into the water. And of course, because of the rules that I've set up for the world, you know, there are places they can't go. And the reason that is is because there are usually giant beasties in there, and you know, they can't swim in the water because I don't want them to. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want them to, there are very giant sharks and beasties there, and yeah, sure. it's death. It's death if you jump in the water. And um, so, when the with the pirate queen pulling civilians into the water, it was like, oh crap, we're going to have to do something, or these people are going to die. And so, uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a good game. So I'm looking forward to some more of that in the in the future. Yeah, I think one of the uh, most useful and valuable tools right now is just having a copy of the Monster Vault on hand. Yep. You know, that you can reskin, I mean, except for uh, Epic Tier stuff, so Jeff's out of luck because they, they just, they're real <laughs> weak on the Epic Tier stuff in this. But for Heroic and Paragon, you can reskin, like, everything in this book and turn it into something else. And I think the monsters in here are the best, best designed monsters for 4E that I've seen. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, for, for Epic Tier, for Epic Tier, you just need to go over to uh, SlyFlourish.com. Yeah, if you're going to do Epic Tier, buy my book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's right. You're all you're all set. Oh man, I tell you what, I scared the heck out of my players. <laughs> they, they were going up against things like, you know, the the gist of a lot of what I got out of reading your book was at Epic Tier, it's no hold bar. Mm-hmm. You know, just go all out. It doesn't right. don't, don't pay attention to any of the restrictions. Just yeah, do what, do whatever you have, right? Yeah. So, so I, I just I'm like, you know what? They're 23rd level. I don't care. There's a minion that kind of works for what I want to do. I don't care that it's 40th level. Go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, it wasn't it wasn't 40th. It was I we think, can't hit it. It was yeah. There was like 28 level 20, level 28 and a level 30. Uh, a yeah. couple of minions and yeah, the defenses were so high they had to roll like 16 or higher to, to hit anything. Yeah, but they'll, they'll um, come up with ways. Yeah, yeah they but they so but they did. You know? they, they still completely wiped the floor with all the monsters sure. when they didn't even have to. Like yeah. all, all yeah. they had to do was get from point A to point B, but instead they chose to sit in the room and kill everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> interesting. So now, Randall. Um, yes. Uh, it sounds to me like you you made some adjustments to your campaign based on our previous conversation. Because um, as I recall, the, originally there weren't going to be any inhabitants in any of the Mist Islands. Right, and so and particularly when because it wasn't part of the original game history, mm-hmm. and so in and while I had thought already that the pirates would probably be there to attack because they were part of the game history, the civilians I threw in completely at random. So now at least we know that on some of these worlds there are some survivors. So, and that changed, you know, that changes the world a little bit, changes the campaign, but I'm okay with that. And I think it helps, uh, flesh it out a little bit for the players as well. So, so have you, how have you handled the, these, uh, cause now you have a whole population of NPCs that you didn't have to mm-hmm. deal with before. So right. how, how are you handling the development of these NPCs? Do they have unique personalities? Are you just going to make them up as they go? Is there a certain number of them that you kind of have some ideas about the, the seeds they're going to plant? Well, actually, the nice thing about them is these are they're kind of stand-ins. Um, at, at the end of this particular scenario, because they're always going back to Mist Island after they explore a certain section, then um, these folks actually, because their original ship sunk, and of course they ended up killing the pirates, so the civilians were able to take the ship and sail off to their own country or whatever. So that left the players there on the island and able to go back to Mist using the book to teleport back to Misk, if you will, or gate back or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, So for right now, there isn't any... um, I don't know if there'll be a recurring um, situation there, but I don't know yet. Um, So they've already had their chance to interact with the NPCs and then they left. Right, exactly. Okay. but So did did they get any new information from those NPCs? Because it seems like that would be a chance to sort of throw in some pretty heavy... uh, Story development. Well, they got the idea that, which they didn't have before, because the book seemed to indicate that everyone was killed um, on this particular world or whatever, on this age. Um, Well, now they know that that is not the case, and that somewhere beyond where Atris explored are other lands. So it does set the – so like if in the future they decide they want to go here in the future for some reason, they can Mm-hmm. It's opened up sort of a multiverse or an alternate plane of existence, if you will, which is, um, you know, which I would have to develop if they decided they wanted to stay there. Mm-hmm. But um, so there's a seed there, but whether anything will happen to it, it's hard to know. It's hard to say, but I'm keeping it open and keeping an open mind about it. So if once the players are done with the adventure as given, if they decide they want to go back and explore and we decide to do something more along the lines of a sandboxy thing, I can, we excuse can me, I can use that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. 
And where do they head next? What, what's the next uh, plot that's, that's then, hatching? The next, well, they've got two other areas on Mist Island that they haven't solved yet, and one is Channelwood, which is sort of a foresty type area, which is all, which springs out of literally out of the water, um, and then there is a um, stone ship, which is a uh, age that is literally. When Atrus tried to write it, he tried to write a sailing vessel into an age, and as a result, he messed up. And the sailing vessel is like split on this rock, so it's like melded into this sort of rocket, rocky island. And um, so there's a couple of ages left to explore. And they're still gathering the red and blue pages. And they love the fact that when they put the red and blue pages back in the respective books, back in the library on Mist Island, they hear more of the message from um, Atrus's two sons. Um, Cirrus and Akinar, mm-hmm. and and you know they're t- and I'm loving watching the interaction, seeing you know because they're both asking to be released. They're both asking, bring us more pages, bring us more pages. Ignore my brother, he's crazy, or ignore my brother, he's mean, or whatever. And they have to. De- they're trying to decide, you know, which one of these guys should we help the most. And they're still undecided. I think they're they're waiting it out to collect as many pages as possible to see which brother you know they want to go for. So and they're engaging in this story. I mean, it's yeah. it, it's basically just. I mean, you didn't do much modification. It's basically the story of Mist, just straight up. It is. It. Yeah, yeah. Which is great because they haven't really experienced it. So good because I know you yeah. had some concerns about them engaging um, in between sessions. Well, and in between sessions, that's probably still not happening. Sure. But at least that. But, but if, if they're engaged the game now, yeah, if they're engaged yeah. at the table, then then I think that's a win. It is, and um, they, like I said, they all had a great time and uh, and liked what I was doing with it. So I'm excited. I don't want to take too much more time, but I was I'm excited because one of the worlds I'm working on now is the props for Channelwood, and I'm actually I found these bamboo mats um, that are like uh, plate mats. Okay. Michaels. Yeah, Michaels. That's right. <laughs> can we get them to sponsor? I, I, I need to sponsor contact the them to sponsor. Yeah. Man, that's right. And I can and between the seams, it's two inches. On these, on the stitched seams between them is two inches, which is perfect mm-hmm. for using as walkways or um, docks or bridges because they're flexible too, right? So um, they're beautiful for that purpose. So I'm like got a bunch of them cutting out, and I'm gluing the the stitch lines so that um, if I cut them into sections, that they don't all fray apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to use those as the walkways in Channelwood, and I'm trying, and I'm getting tubes to put platforms on, and I'm hoping to make it a whole triple layer thing. So um, I'll take pictures if I get it done, but um, we'll see how far I get with it. So, but I'm hard at work on. It. I got my whole dining room table that's got like stuff all over it now. So crazy prop guy. It is. My wife hates it, but <laughs> all right, Mike. Unless you've got something more for Randall. Nope. Cool. I, I I believe you're starting a new campaign. Yes, you finished your Shadowfell. I, I finished my Shadowfell campaign. It was great. Um, I just you know just follow up from the last show. I, I pretty much just dove straight into the end. They had I think three more things that they did. They collected two more of the three artifacts, and uh, then they faced off against the Prince Roland and cut him down. And uh, 
everybody was happy, and I ended it on cliffhangers. I love ending my campaigns on cliffhangers. I never really end a campaign. There so always you, in, you end a campaign oh, on a cliffhanger? No, the end of a campaign yeah, should yeah, bring closure. No, <laughs> no, there's no closure. You're right? horrible. I mean, there's there's closure for what the for the main story. Well, remember, my campaigns are like twelve sessions long. I suppose you know. I mean, but I I ended my thirtieth level campaign on a on on an open thing. Oh, right. You know, like, and, and no wonder they and, 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 and they're still going. Yeah, yeah. See, and then if you'd given them, if and now she's making giving them quests, and then they went to the far realm and came back, and now they're getting more quests. If you'd have given them some closure, you could have been done with that and moved on. Right. No, <laughs> it's still going. Been, they, they, I've run more thirtieth level games than most people run epic tier. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm starting Guardmore Abbey, and I'm starting next week. All right. Uh, and I, I I just re-listened to the uh, Tome Show where you guys talked about it mm-hmm. um, to kind of help me get my head around a lot of it. I think it's really well written, so um, I'm having I think I'm going to have a pretty good time with it. And um, I'm going to so this will be the first published adventure that I've run since like deaths or since uh, um, the one to thirty. Yeah, the one to thirties, and even those I rewrote them so much they needed so much rewriting. Uh, and this one, I don't, I don't really plan on rewriting it much. I, I, I plan on running it pretty straight. And it's a nice sandbox kind of adventure. It's got a lot of cool Hello? stuff, and it's got a heavy focus on. Can you hear me? Yep. Um, it's got a heavy focus on um, NPCs and the quests that NPCs give, and kind of how those NPCs are, how how they relate and how they interrelate, and what their storylines are. And um, I think that that's going to go really well. I always, I always love campaigns that are driven from the characters and not so much from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to run it very lazy DM. Um, you know, I've got uh, a little folio that I bought from Amazon here and I'm just kind of filling it with maps and charts and pictures and the books and anything that I find that I think will be of interest to the campaign. I'm going to throw in there. I'm going to throw a little notebook in there for me to keep notes and a notebook that the piece that where the players can keep notes and we're kind of going to let it run from week to week. Uh, I think if I think they're going to be heading towards some big climactic battle, then I'll probably build something out ahead of time. But other than that, I plan on I plan on running it week to week with as little prep as, as possible. Um, just because I want to get more used to running it that way. Right. You can save a lot of time if, if you, you, you spend your time on the right thing. Uh, which that, is, that's so hard to do for some people. Well, it depends. I mean, if you're spending it where you enjoy it, then then there's no problem. But if you're spending time, I mean, you talked about running all all the monsters right out of the compendium, and and that's something that I've started doing a lot more of. You know, I I, I do a lot of monster design online, but I don't really do it for my own campaigns unless I'm playtesting something, um, because I would rather play with monsters that I know are designed well and have already gone through a lot of testing, and um, you know, and generally do the job. So. You know, like I said, I've got I, I my I'll get to the hard part of Gardmore, which is uh, in thinking about it, I was I was trying to decide whether I wanted to start at level one and go through all of the essentials adventures, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or just start with Gardmore. And because I, you know, it would take me probably the rest of the year to go through all of the adventures. Right. I said I think I'm going to go straight to Gardmore. So then the hard part is well, now I'm starting a campaign at level six, and I kind of didn't want it to begin there. So I'm actually having it start at the end of a campaign that never happened. Uh, yes. So the very oh, wow. first the very first scene is going to be them in the middle of a battle with a white dragon and a and a and a and a uh, ice undead ice wizard that they've been hunting down for you know a year, and they don't they you know the players won't have any idea <laughs> what the story is about. And what I'm hoping is that 
they'll all get into it and start making up the story. Like, you know, remember that time when you killed our friend Ashamond back at the hills? You know, and <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll all kind of, you know, come up with different things that had occurred from level one to six. Mm-hmm. So then when they finish him, they'll feel like, wow, we did it. You know, like we got the campaign. And the whole purpose of that battle is because the the ice wizard has a one card of the deck of many things in his possession. Sure. And that will kind of get them clued into the whole campaign for, for Gardmar. Um, yeah. Now, I, I have an idea that actually relates to something else I, I've recently done um, for a second campaign I'm, I'm kind of running, but we can talk about that more off the air if we need to. Um, but the idea is I wanted to sort of build a very sandboxy sort of thing, right, where there wasn't a, a, a predefined setting. You know, I had some ideas and, and what have you, and I I let them, I gave them a lot of control over sort of the story of the setting and, and the background of, of the campaign. So what we did is, is as we were doing character generation, we'd, we, we did character generation around the table. Mm-hmm. And everybody would go through, you know, okay, round one of character generation, everybody, you know, pick a, a, a race. Right. Everybody picks a race. Now, everybody add something to, to, the, to the story. Right. You know, everybody make something up. Make up the name of an inn. Make up, the, you know, right. some aspect right. of the world. You know, and I got, I, I got to do it twice. I, I got to add something for the world and I got to add something for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I did something. I mean, I, I started using fiasco-like concepts mm-hmm. for um, my Gloomrock campaign, and it worked really well. Right. Uh, and I did that again for another one-shot adventure, and it worked pretty well too. And I thought about doing it for this one, um, and I kind of just didn't get around to it. So instead, I did random random backgrounds, and you know, hopefully the the random backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I did that for two reasons. One is it breaks min-maxing, and two is it you know kind of gets people to think asynchronously. You know, think think perpendicular to their character. So, but, but, um, but here's, here's my thought for what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. and this could fit into, into all that as, as well, is that every round of the fight with the white dragon, Oh, they have to know, come up with something, you know, what's your action. And then right. tell me a little bit about how you got here. Right. Or, right. you know, so, and right. so they sort of build a background and a story and this, this campaign that never happened. Right. As they're in this in media res sort of, uh, encounter. Right, and so that encounter sort of builds the entire background of, of the campaign and launches you forward in, into Gardmore Abbey. Yeah, so scenes are kind of flashing as they're having every time their sword hits. There's this flash of a background, right? You know, flash of something that happened previously, or flash mm-hmm. of their history, or whatever. I think that, yes. that could be cool. So, yeah, I think that'll be. I think that'll be really neat. Um, and then you know, Gardmore, I, run, I plan on running pretty much as is. Um, I, I already know who the secret the secret person is. Um, you know, I already did the whole deck, you know, figuring out where, what cards are where, and uh, and I'm still kind of getting my hands around all of the different aspects. One one part, which is always tricky, and, and I never know that if I do this real well, is in um, character selection. You know, I, I try to make up a, a different set of characters, a, a different set of potential races and classes uh, for each of these mini-campaigns. Um, you know, A, again, to prevent min-maxing, B, get to better design stuff instead of the older stuff, uh, and C, kind of build a theme for it that fits differently. So the Gloomrot one was definitely heavily focused on Heroes of Shadow, and this one I'm focusing more on Heroes of the Feywild. And I kind of lucked out because there's definitely a big Fey component to Gloomrot, or to Gloomrot, to Gardmore. Mm. Uh, so that will fit well. And immediately, many of the players picked um, Heroes of Fey, Stuff now. They also I, here's the elemental chaos. I also allowed, mm-hmm. and so they immediately started grabbing on some of those um, classes. Uh, there's no races in 
in that one, I don't think. But in, in they, I don't, and I don't know that anybody picked a race from Heroes of Fae, although I did allow them because I figured that you know the, there's a weakening barrier between uh, the Fae Wild and and the mortal the mortal world. Right. Um, but nobody nobody ended up picking it. Um, so that that's okay. The hard part there is is I liked what I had done in my Dark Sun campaign, and I liked what I had done in my Gloomrock campaign, and I don't know how to fit it in here. Uh, in Dark Sun, I had the, the the Children of Blood was the the name of the party, and they were actually a party of like twelve or thirteen PCs. And then at any given time, the players would pick what PC they wanted to play, and that way they could try different things out. If one guy was out, then he was a leader. Someone else could pick a leader, uh, and that worked well. Except there was no story behind the character. You know, you kind of I didn't even remember their names. I still couldn't tell you any of their names. Um, and then in Gloomrod, I had shadow phasing, which meant that as a at the beginning of the day, they could shift classes. They could go from one class to another. You could be both a, um, a shadow priest or a um, um, hexblade mm-hmm. if you wanted to. And and you just had two character sheets, and that way, from night to night, you could decide you know what you wanted to be. But it was the same character, so that way that the story was cohesive. But that made sense for the shadow fell. But in this one. You know, one rule I made was we, we only have one of every class, and that was because I didn't want four sorcerers immediately because everybody seemed to really be like, oh, that elementalist looks really good. <laughs> you know, and then I'm immediately going to know because we had I had a game where we had three black guards in my in my <laughs> one, and I was like, oh, oh wow. are you kidding me? Three black guards? You know, because that's what they all brought to the table. So You're like a comedy troupe now. It is. It was. It was <laughs> my, I worked into the story that now that's what they you know the, they became this like troop of black guards. Um, so I didn't want to have four sorcerers show up the first night. So I said, like, one of every class. Um, but then you get into things where, like, only, you know, not a lot of people wanted to play leaders. And one person did, but they might not be here every week, you know. So I'm already starting to cave and say things like, well, if you pick a leader, you can also make another one. And that way you have a, a secondary character, which is getting more to the to the heroes of, or to the to the dark sun one that I did before. So I never really know. And I, and I don't want to be a, a dick about it. I don't want mm-hmm. to say, like, you can't, you know... No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. I mean, sometimes they're actually trying to play classes and races based on an idea that they have of the character, but most of the time it feels like, you know, they've got this crazy combination of powers that they want to try out. Mm -hmm. So I always have to constantly say, like, well, I'm going to throw you a loop by saying your theme is random. (laughs) Well, Um, okay, so... How do you feel about that? You're trying to figure out how to fit in the ability to, to change up your characters or have new characters... And, and be able to switch off and on in the campaign. Yeah, and and still have character cohesion. I still want people to feel like they've got their PC. Right. I mean, we're, we're playing for four levels, I think. We're starting at level five and going up to level eight. Mm-hmm. So three, three-ish. They'll probably be level nine by the end. I have a couple of ideas on, on, on maybe how to do that. Okay. Um, one idea is that the, the deck of many things is, is by its nature uh, an item of chaos, right? Right. Right. So you could have a situation where maybe they're not able to change quite so often, mm-hmm. but when you collect a new card, it might right. bring about some sort of fundamental change in your in your being, and you can change characters at that point. You're the same person, yeah. Yeah. but something has changed about you, and now you're a new class or you know new whatever. Right. Okay. Right. Um, the other option is have them create their backup PCs now, mm-hmm. and, and you can integrate them in as NPCs. Because, as you yeah. mentioned, Gardmore Abbey is is heavily into the NPCs, right? So you could have right, the, yeah. you could have them already in the background of one of the factions or working with so and so or whatever, and you can sort of through story 
um, unlock them as a playable character. That's a good idea. I kind of like that idea of unlocking a uh, unlocking NPCs. Mm-hmm. That you know, I've had them unlock classes before, but that never made sense because then they had to switch to the class. But the idea of saying like we have some house characters. Right. And you know that they have their main characters, but then we have these house characters, and they, you know, we have like a, you know, and then, what is it? And, yeah, then and then you, pr- then you treat them as pregens. I mean, you hand them the character, and here's your right. background already made, and here's what you know, and here's your motivations, and then they get to play this new character, and it has it's already integrated into the story, right? Uh, as long as you're you're comfortable with the idea of, of your players role playing. A character that they they didn't necessarily build, at least yeah. built in personality, you know. Um, and I probably only need a couple. Like I'm never going to need a striker because we got lots of strikers. <laughs> um, but it, I think you know it wouldn't be bad to have one leader and one defender. Mm-hmm. Although I think we're going to have a, like two barbarian or two. You know, I think we're going to be fine on most everything. But <laughs> if I had like one, you know, I could probably have like one. Um, uh, what is it called? Uh, Sentinel would be a good leader mm-hmm. and one defender, probably a knight or a paladin. And I could actually make it like, here's Sir Oakley. You know, you get to play Sir Oakley or you get to play Baron Vel- Velfarin mm-hmm. or two key NPCs. Absolutely. And then they can kind of play those characters. That'd be kind of fun. So yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. I like it that they're, they're already integrated into this story. Right. And so you just, you just have to assign stats to them. Yeah, it's easy. I mean, I can I can come up with something to build it pretty quick. Oh, so one thing I'm doing, you're talking about items and gear. Uh, items and gear is, is just, oh, God, it just makes me <laughs> cringe. I hate it. I hate dealing with it. I don't want to do it. And I, I did this in Gloomrod, and it was pretty good. Well, one thing I'm doing is I will never run a campaign again that doesn't use inherent bonuses. Um, and the reason why is then I never have to worry about whether or not they are at the power they should be. They will always be at the power they should be. And I can still give out magic items, and those magic items just don't stack with their inherit bonuses, so it works fine. Um, and the nice thing I can do that is then I can just use the, um, the Dungeon Master's book or the Rules Compendium, or the Rules Cyclopedia, what is it called? The Rules Compendium. Um, has a random loot chart in it for money. And then... Uh, I have my random loot generator that uses loot from all of the new sources, including Morning Canons. Right. So I already have one to twenty lists for each level. I was just uh, looking at your uncommon. I, I was just looking at your loot generator. I'm, I actually have it open in front of me right now. Yeah, yeah. So that way, I, and I, all I did is I, I printed my DM cheat sheet on one side and gear from five to eight on the other, including a, a set for potions. That's I think level seven or something like that. And that way. They anytime they go to a store, there might be one uncommon item available at the store, and anytime they roll loot, they'll they'll be able to pick up that. And it's just random. And if they get something good, they get something good. If they don't, they don't. Um, there'll probably be one or two rare items that I'll probably throw in the game so that they can actually get something cool. Um, and and that way, the characters will be simpler because they're not going to have this sheet upon sheet of magical items. Uh, they won't have a bunch of items that are all perfectly tuned around what their guy does. You're not going to have the, you know, chir- the, 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 the charging barbarian with the horned helm and the you know, gauntlets of ogre power and mm-hmm. the boots that give him plus two on charging, right? And it's like, wow, how'd you find seven items that all do charging? <laughs> um, you know, you, you, I'm not going to run it. And, and yeah, I'm, I wouldn't run into a situation like that. Uh, and every so often, they might get an item that kind of you know, isn't a direct fit, but it's kind of cool. You know, like it, it, it's kind of like a sealed deck leak in magic, you know, that lightning bolt card becomes a lot more valuable when there's only one of them in the entire league. 
you know, instead of being able to go out and buy all the exact cards that you need to build, you know, a championship deck. See, in my campaigns, I at least so far, I usually tell my players up front, it's like, you know, wish lists, I don't do them. Right. I will, I will try to tailor some of the items that will be useful for your characters. Right. But for the most part, the things that you find, and of course in this the campaign that I'm doing now, the items that they find are specifically in the game. Right. I have, may have colored them with a similar magic item, but they won't necessarily fit. And it's fun to watch the players look at each other and say, hmm, who can use this the best? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, I did, I, I did the, uh, the one, one rare item per character as a wish list thing. Like, they had to say, this is the rare item that they want during this campaign, mm-hmm. and here's how it fits their character and their storyline. Uh, and then it became, those were the flackerties of Prince Roland during Gloomont, right. and that, that yeah. worked really well. Oh, see, I, uh, in Par- like half the time they forgot what it was. Right. In, pa- in Paragon Tier, I did um, this really sort of sinister thing where I, I asked them for wish lists. Right. And then I said, okay, I yeah. will never give you anything yeah. on your wish list. You're never getting anything on the wish list. But, oh, wow. But, but I, what I did say is, but what, but what your wish list tells me is the sort of thing you're interested in. Uh. And I will tailor what I give you. Based right. on what I see on the wish list, and I also had them. I, I created, you know, I, I made a list, you know, of all the different item slots, and right. said, "Tell me what you have in each one, and tell me what areas are weak and which areas are empty, so that I sort of know what slots need to be filled for people." You know? Yeah, I, I just don't think player. I don't think PCs need need magic items. Like they have so many different things they can do, and so many feats, and so many powers. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. there's not really. It's not the same as like magic items were in older editions. Where they were the only weird thing you could do, like everything else is just swinging a sword. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't feel that constant need to say like, well, you got to have it. Except that the math required it, but with with inherent bonuses, it doesn't even require that. Right. You know, and, but, that, and that's I, I still have this real fond memory of the the Dark Sun Gladiator character with Masters at Arms, Master at Arms as a feat, who could pick up a jawbone and turn it into an axe, and it was a plus three axe. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah. although I have the the issue of I've already got twenty three levels behind me, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's hard to just say okay. And Harry says now get rid of your magic items, you know. Uh, yeah, you can. So. Uh-huh. I mean, it's the same way. Like, I mean, yeah, you you, you can't you can't do that. Right. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I've heard of people. I think uh, Dave Chalker did it in his game where he had a, a he had a giant reset button in the middle of his game where they went through a portal and lost everything. And yeah. uh, you know, if people were tied <laughs> to their items, they would just have a fit. Right, and and now my my group is so used to me screwing with their characters because we're doing so much playtesting that they went to the far realm and came back from the far realm, and all their guys turned into essentials characters. <laughs> what, what you know? What the hell happened? You know, yeah. this is awful. And my my wife is still mad. She's like, you know, we we have this cyclic argument about Twin Strike. You know, where mm-hmm. she loves. Twins, she loves Twin Strike and doesn't think it's broken. And I said, if it's not, if it's if it's not broken, then why do you love it so much? Yeah, it's and, horribly broken. But because yeah, I got yeah. a Ranger, that's just yeah. Oh, well, and that you know, with a with a with a vicious longbow and crit on nineteen and twenty, and you know, yep. oh. oh yeah, our party, so, our party Ranger is disgusting. Yeah, so her so her her character turned into her cousin, and the cousin is a um, uh, hunt not the not the hunter the the scout. Ranger, oh, Scally, okay. Ranger, then that works, and and we're basically just doing it to play test articles anyway. Yeah. Um, so that worked out. But yeah, I'm really excited. I'm I'm gonna run Gloomrot next week, or God, I'm gonna run Gar- Guardmore next week. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably gonna do most poster maps. This is kind of awful because I've got these three huge things at Dwarven Forge. 
Um, but I'm going to be mostly using poster maps because I kind of want them to go wherever they want to go, and I'll just pull oh, out. Oh wow! It's right at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I used I, I, I used your uh, your um, Dorvan Forge argument with my wife the other day. What was that? What was my argument? It's cheaper than golf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you say to that, I'll tell you, I mean, <laughs> I cannot, I can't recommend it anymore. Uh, and it's not because it's bad, but it's because the maps are so much easier to use. I'm, you know, to me, poster maps are the absolute best, like tactic, you know, tactical accessory you can get. And now they have like these poster map packs with six maps in them. Right. And and they're even worth it if you bought the old adventures for ten bucks and just pulled the maps out and threw the adventure away. They're still worth it. You know, that and that acrylic sheet. And, you know, if you have a big library of them, you'll probably get a map for just about anything you need. Yeah, see, I don't have a lot of those, but I I, you know, I, make, I make my own poster maps with the, the giant sure. po- yeah. you know, post-it that, note things. That takes time. Yeah. You know, that's energy. Which, and, but, but what, they're starting to sell the map pack now, aren't they? Yeah, the, there was, the first map pack just came out. It came out a couple yeah. months ago. And they have another one coming out in a but, couple of months. And they but, have six maps each. But the likelihood of me ever finding a map pack that is, you know, a dungeon that is the inside of the body of a god well, <laughs> yeah. well, seems unlikely. Well, so that's, that's here. I mean, you know. But, um, yeah, I tend just to keep things pretty, you know. I, what, I, I think Dave was the one that told me about this, you know, that he will start with a map in a lot of cases. And I started doing that. Like I said, I know I want them to fight a white dragon, and I know it wants to be in this thing. Let me go through and like, hey, look, the, the Pyramid of Shadows had a half-size map of an icy room with four pedestals. That's perfect, you know, and it's good enough, right? It's not exactly what I was thinking, and I was going to build a big Dwarven Forge thing. We're like, ah, yeah, headache. But, you yeah. know, one of the things you could do is if you start with one of the poster maps, and I did this in um, uh, the end of uh, Shadowfell Keep, the big encounter. I used yeah. my own pieces on top of the oh map yeah. yeah, sort of make it pop up. You know, right. it was sort of like a th- making the map three D, yeah. and that worked really well. It was actually pretty cool. So. Yeah, I do that. I do that a lot. I think for my, you know, I went. I, I put a lot into my final battles for Prince Roland and stuff like that. And I, I put down. I think for at least one of those fights or a couple of them, I had a poster map and then an acrylic sheet on top of the poster map and then Dwarven Forge on top of that. And it built this really, you know, you have a really nice floor that's got a lot of good detail on the floor, and then you've got these three-dimensional things all around it. Yeah, that definitely works. That definitely works really well. But the problem is you can't do that on the spot. You know, if they say, like, eh, we want to go down to the forest again instead. Right. You know, well, now you're hosed. you got this giant dwarven forge thing. So, you know, by the, the only way that I can truly get away from railroading, I mean, my trick before was you decided, I would give them a choice of where they were going to go at the end of the evening, Mm-hmm. And that way, I'd have a week to prepare for the direction they went. Right. But it's kind of nice when even in the middle, they can say, I think we should go back and rest. And you're like, okay. You know, and you just pull the poster map out. So, um, yeah. Yeah, in, in my case, I actually had to, because I had such an elaborate mist island set up, right. I got it permanently up downstairs. And right. then for the right. separate um, ages that they're going to, I make everybody come upstairs and we go around the dining room table. Yeah, so I've got like two. Yeah, that's the I could build all of Gardmore Abbey and have like everything all over my house, and then oh, now I'll have it down to the den. Yeah, but but you know that actually you know it kind of it's interesting because it it gives people a fresh you know uh, yeah. it actually worked for our for our situation, and of course the mist thing you know I'm going to take beautiful pictures of it when it's done, but then most of the components are probably going to go in you know yeah. in different places, so it'll never come back. But. 
Yeah, I mean, one, I guess one thing that helps me psychologically when I'm getting prepared for an adventure, to, to do an adventure, is if I, if I know that I could run it right now with just what I have on hand, then that makes me feel a little bit more free to kind of just let myself explore whatever direction I want. So maybe I just want to spend time thinking about the NPCs and what's going on in their minds. You know, this is my big, my big like, see through the eyes of the NPCs is the way to tell a story instead of sitting there plotting things out. But, you know, I can sit and look at the villains in Gardmore and just kind of think about what they're trying to do. You know, what's that, you know, there's that other evil party, or not evil party, right? There's that, that, that second party that's also going after the deck. And I'm going to have so much fun kind of figuring, well, the party did this, so what are they doing? Or where are they going right yeah, now? Yeah, I think that'll be right? what, I think that'll be what makes... Um Gardmore Abbey really unique and interesting is, yeah, is you can add those sort of dynamic elements. You know, one of the right. one of my favorite um, third edition ca- campaigns I ever played in, we did uh, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Right. And one of the interesting things that, that that DM did that's not necessarily written into that book though was when we did something, it changed the way the factions acted. Yeah and, exactly, yeah, and and the whole yeah. the whole thing changed, and it felt like a, a living, breathing environment, you know. Yeah, and I did that in Gar- uh, that worked really well in Gloomrot. Gloomrot, mm-hmm. the whole city, the whole city was kind of built around what the PCs were doing, and they really felt that, you know, at the end, like the whole the buildings are turning to watch them go down the street. Oh wow! <laughs> they're like they they know when they're on their way to go fight Prince Roland. The whole city, the whole physical city, knows that it's going to be completely different. What whatever happens in that mm-hmm. in that place. And so the, did you, know, you use the did you use the chase scene where the buildings would like pop up randomly no, and they, stuff? They and... never actually went to that section. So that you know that oh, was okay. going to be one of the three sections was going to be um, them going to this the fountain in the center and the buildings. Yeah, they were going to have like a big fight there, and the buildings were going to start to fight them, kind of. Right. You know, the buildings are going to start crumbling around them, and there's going to be this kind of crazy, you know, everything turns ninety degrees or everything shifts, you know, and they're fighting on the walls instead of fighting straight down but they they skipped that one and that oh, part okay. that, that one of his phylacrities ended up with him he went and got it when they were going after another one so then when they faced him he had it sitting there in a in a jar mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it went it went pretty well but yeah that one ended on a complete cliffhanger like they, they finished the main quest they killed prince roland they 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 got their um you know, they got the revenge that was the whole theme of the campaign. But they then found out what they really are. And what they really are are resurrected pieces of a dying Raven Queen. And their job is to save her life. And the only pe- people that know how to do it are the Dark Druids, the um, uh, the Tenebris Cabal, who don't really have the interest of the Raven Queen at heart. Right, they're they're kind of like evil dark druids, and they're more interested right. in harnessing shadow power than they are in saving the Raven Queen. But they are the only one that actually know what the party should be doing. So the party now has to work for this group that they already know is evil, and and that's how that ended. <laughs> oh wow! So that way, there's you know, but it kind of ties back into the all same thing because you know the whole thing with my other thirtieth level campaign is that the Raven Queen is dying. Maybe she got stabbed by a shard of the part of the abyss, and. Uh, you know, for five years she's disappeared. Wow! So lots of fun there. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited, and I'm, you know, next next time we get together, I, I should be, you know, three 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 sessions or so into into Guardmore, and they'll be well on their way. See now, you you need to have a D twenty modern side trek where the Raven Queen is actually just hanging out in a goth club downtown. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she's missing. It immediately yeah. turns into a vampire of the masquerade there you go. <laughs> campaign. Then, then I can go to Gamma World. I got to tie some Gamma World in there. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. All right. Should we wrap this thing up? 
Sounds good. Sure. Sounds all right. Good. I think we've all got something to work with for our next uh, next session or three in Mike's case. Color, yep. color me jealous of how often you get to play. Oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> great group. All right. Well, yeah, he- I just found out my week my game that I play in this week is canceled. So oh. yeah. it's like yeah, I've got one next weekend. I don't not this weekend, but the next. So we'll get to finish off the the body of the dead god at that point. Cool. But if people want to uh, email in their thoughts or comments on our campaigns so that may or may not be integrated into what we're doing, they can email thetomeshow at gmail.com, and I will forward things on from there. Or if you'd rather uh, put your voice into it all, you can call at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. That's 919-BIZ-TOME. Um, I want to thank and our sponsor, can, can Ga- I, can Gamerati. Can I do a special request? You cannot. Uh, please. Okay, fine. It's, it's not self-promoting. Um if I, one thing I would be particularly interested in are people that have run Gardmore Abbey and the things that they thought really went well that I should be paying attention to and the things that didn't go well uh, and things that I should be paying attention to in the other direction. I'd be very interested in hearing that. So if they want to email that in, uh, please, please do. Right on. So email in thetomeshow at gmail.com with your thoughts on how, uh, what, if you've run Gardmore and how it went and what you, that he should be, Mike should be watching out for. Uh, so yeah, I was like I was saying before, I want to thank our sponsor, Gamerati.com and Gamerati.tv. Uh, and thanks to my co-host, hey. Mike, Randall. It's been hey. fun. Thank you. Yep. It has been. Good night, everybody. On this, the third episode of Behind the DM Screen. That's the name, right? Yep. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Can I type now? <laughs>